It's the Total Sports Quinny Podcast with your hosts, Paul Svoboda, Randy Ewans, and Mike Bond. We cover sports from the Quinty region and beyond. Get ready for the Total Sports Quinty Podcast. So what's going on, gentlemen? This is episode 15, and always this is Mike here with uh, Randy. What's up tonight? Hey, Michael. Thanks for putting it together again. Yep. Um, excited to be here. Um, I want to hear all about Bones' new gig. So, Bones, how's it going? Good. <laughs> new gig. Do tell. Uh, well, I'm, I'm working in a warehouse now. And my life has gone full circle. Almost 40 years ago, I was working in a warehouse, and now I'm back there. And to tell you the truth, I really enjoy it. I'm on my feet all day. I've lost almost 10 pounds, nice. <laughs> which I needed to which I needed to lose. And, uh, no, I'm, you know what? It's kind of refreshing to be back in the physical working world. I, you know, I, I never really left it. Even when I was working at the paper, I had some part-time jobs on the side with buddies and stuff just to keep my hand in it. But, uh, uh, my buyout ended a little while ago, so I needed to reenter the working world and I'm a, I'm a grunt again and I'm kind of enjoying it. (laughs) <laughs> very manly, honorable work after all those years that, of slugging it paper. That's right. Yeah. After sitting navel gazing at my uh, computer uh, keyboard for 30 years. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> so we, uh, we've got a, a couple of great guests this week. We got um, Adam Creek, former Olympian, and uh, we're going to talk to him about some transferable skills and how he's uh his new gigs and he's also got a book out and we got Cameron Perro from uh Picton Golf Course young up and coming golfer um son of Mike Perro so kind of exciting to talk to those guys but um I, I think uh we can get into them but lots of news uh hockey starting to move a big one today or yesterday I guess was probably the new sports um, announcement to cancel their fall sports and I know Bones. This is near and dear to your heart. Do you want to uh, start us off with the uh, the Total Sports uh, magazine? No, U Sports. The cancellation of U Sports. Oh gosh! Oh, get them going, man. Randy. Way to go! <laughs> I thought we were going to start on a high note. Yeah, uh, sorry. I'm 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 still not used to the U Sports moniker. I, I like to refer to it as CIS, but yeah, very, very disappointing. And actually, um, following suit and closer to home was the OCAA, which includes Loyalist College. And I know we had, uh, we had Jim Buck on the air a few weeks ago, who's the athletic director at Loyalist. And, and, you know, uh, everybody understands, uh, why and so forth, but, I know tonight Jim Buck is a very disappointed man, and, and we all are. Uh, uh, the OCAA canceled all the sports until December 31st. So uh, basically uh, the 2020 season for everything is wiped out. Rugby, soccer, basketball, volleyball at the university level, those same sports plus football, which is a massive loss and uh, at the OUA level. And I, I, apparently they followed suit in Canada West. I think they even led sooner. Uh, there was some hope that the OUA football league might have their own season and Quebec might have their own season. 
and not have to cross borders and so forth. And even the Maritimes have a three or four team round robin. But I, I you know what, I, at this point, I, I just, uh, you know, pro sports are really trying hard and juniors, junior hockey is really trying hard to, to talk about next season. And I just, I, I'm really flabbergasted that, that the OCAA and the OUA have, uh, you know, basically folded the tent. And to me, it's got to be insurance driven. Uh, these kids are university students and school's got to be worried about, the, you know, the possible, uh, after, you know, the possible, uh, circumstances and so forth. But it, it's really disappointing. Uh, we're, we're, how many months are we into this thing now? And Ontario, which is, moving at a snail's pace, but still moving, announcing some new openings on Friday. And it, it's really disappointing to me that they would look six months in advance and say, we're just canceling everything. And, uh, it, it I can't imagine being a young teenage to mid twenties athlete right now. It's just gotta be so disheartening. And I don't know why we can't find some way to to get things going. I really don't. They're in the lowest percentile uh, risk group during this whole thing. Uh, I just, I don't get it. I, I'm really frustrated right now. Yeah, it's really, um, it is too bad. And I just, yeah, I feel for all those kids. Now, uh, Randy, um, we do have our first guest, Adam Creek, waiting to go here. So maybe you could do us a little invo and I'll bring him in. Invo intro. Yeah, so, so want to welcome Adam Creek. Uh, Adam is a former Olympic rower on the on the uh, eights team that won the gold medal at Beijing Olympics, and he's a uh, multiple world champion. And uh, obviously, transferred some skills that he developed in his sporting life into a, a, a really cool uh, um, uh, leadership role that he's doing with a number of uh, of uh, corporations around the country and, and he's become a really well-known public speaker. So we'll get into it with, uh, with Adam, an interesting guy. We'll probably lots to talk about with uh, his experiences. So look forward to talking to him. So there he is. Welcome to the show, Adam. Well, it's good to be here. <laughs> Adam, awesome to have you, man. Thanks for joining. And, you know, for a random, uh, for me, you don't know any of us clowns. No, you. I don't. None of you. It's hey, speak for yourself. Social network. <laughs> I lived I in London for two years. Come on. <laughs> but, but I don't know if you've actually, if you looked at a map to see where we are, but we are actually in the hometown of your old buddy, Brian Price. Oh, so, glory me. Orangeville. Yeah. No, not Orangeville. Uh, <laughs> um, Bell Vegas. Uh, Belleville Bulls, home of the That's Belleville right. Bulls. That's right. You got so, it, man. <laughs> so that was that was our segue to, to, to get to you. Um, and we had, you know, tons of questions. I guess the, the first thing, and then I'm, what we usually do is we just sort of pass it around the horn and ask questions that we've made up in our sleep. So the first one, how does a guy whose grandfather was an Estonian shot putter get involved in canoeing? <laughs> canoeing. Well, rowing. first rowing. off, I'm not a canoer. There's a big, di big difference. Big difference. <laughs> Way to go, Randy! You pissed him off already. <laughs> and it's pronounced Esto, not Estonian. It's Esto. So, so I hear you guys play a lot of ringette over there in Belleville, do you? Yeah, that's what I hear. <laughs> so tell me about this ringette team you're coaching. 
I'd like to learn a little bit more about it. Ah, touche. I was a rower, Olympic rower, men's eight rowing. Uh, I did some canoeing when I was a kid with my dad <laughs> at the Algonquin Park. Nice. You know, we have, you, uh, you guys know that. That's in your neck of the woods. I grew up in London, Ontario, down the road from you. So my, yeah, my grandfather was an Estonian shop putter, uh, came over here. Um, my dad was born in a refugee camp in Sweden, and they came over here after the Second World War. And uh, I don't think there was, I mean, my grandfather, like stories of him of being an athlete. My dad played basketball at the University of Western Ontario, so there's a culture of, of sport in our, in our family. And how I got involved in in rowing was, you know, I, I enjoyed canoe trips. Honestly, it started with a canoe with my Told with my, dad and my brother. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, my university had a local sports camp. I'd always try different sports throughout the summer. And uh, they had this rowing sports camp when I was 14. Then when I was 16, a local parent started rowing at my high school. And I played basketball, played football. I threw the – or I put – the, you throw the shot put, I put the shot, uh, <laughs> I push I the shot, put. Chuck it. And, <laughs> you shot the put. You put the I shot. shot the put. <laughs> you put the shot. So great, I put the, so in grade 11, parents started up rowing, I and that's when I really started to lean in. And then after about a year of rowing, my high school rowing coach takes me aside and he says, hey, look, you're an Olympian, you just don't know it yet. And I remember looking at him thinking, really, this is something I could do. And that, that was the seed. That was the coach, you know, the coach's insight uh, that drastically changed the trajectory of my life. So, did, so it's interesting that you use those, you know, obviously the early grounds of how your sport, did you play other sports as well that helped you with your rowing? And Oh yeah. You know, and it's, and I think it's important I think our audience is young athletes. Are they listening to us? Yeah, or? we listen. We, we have a lot of uh, local coaches and sports uh, athletes yeah. that we, we and, and one of the things that a constant theme for us that we talk about is, is multiple sport athletes. And before they yeah. define themselves into going into one particular stream of how those other sports complement what you end up deciding on doing. Yeah, and it's so true. It's true in my own story, and I'm a big believer in that, the multi-sport philosophy as well. Uh, and I found even you know, moving to the sport of rowing, rowing is a very physical, uh, you know, power endurance type sport. But uh, I felt like I, delivered, you know, I developed a lot of power and athleticism and dynamicism you know, in, in my movements from, you know, from basketball, from football, from, uh, from the other sports that I did play. And so big, big fan of multi-sport athletes, not specializing until uh, mid teens, if you can wake it. And it's almost like the way I look at multi-sport athletes, it's like a trump card. Like when do you have to specialize to be good? If you have to specialize to be good when you're eight years old, then you're not going to make it that far. That's, that's your final Mm. trump card. So are you, do you have to specialize when you're 12? Well, if you have to specialize when you're 12, you're not going to really make it that far. You're, you, don't, you don't have the, the core goods of what it takes to actually go all the way if that's, if that's what it's in it for you and that's what you're, you're get, gunning for. So I think the later you can put off the specialization, you know, the natural athleticism comes out, but it also builds a more rugged frame. You're, you're more resilient to, uh, from 
you know, you'll rebound from injury a lot quicker. Uh, you'll, and then psychologically you won't burn out. And I'd say that was, that was one of the best pieces of advice my high school coach gave me. He said, you know what, you got to work hard if you want to go all the way, but I want you to do other things. And so I want, I want you to play football. I want you to play basketball. I want you to play the tuba. And if you can do all that stuff and still deliver at the high school level, you might not win all the races here when you're 17, 18 years old, but uh, you'll lay the groundwork to, you know, to work hard and, and win the big races when you're older. And advice very cool yeah i just wanted to pick up on the the coaching side because obviously you're doing business coaching executive coaching and i'm curious so do you work with uh sports coaches either in minor uh sports or uh university level or um because it's i did a bit of that in the past life but i um and i just there's a lot of similarities right and i think there's um when we get into our our work lives I used to always say a coach can still help you, right? Like coaches always help any individual get the most out of themselves. And I'm just curious, hey, how do how do you how are you working with business professionals? But then also, are you, are you working with other coaches? And and how does that all transfer those skills? Well, how does skills transfer from sport to business? So I do. I I work with with mid level executives and you know people who have organizations. They're, they're you know, they have a hundred or more people underneath them within the organization and they have to have a certain level of strategic planning and, uh, you know, communication ability. So it seems like there's, there's three areas that I, I help executives with, you know, the first one is, you know, the strategic piece, the, the underlay to figure out, you know, what is the right thing to do? Why should I do it? So, so strategy and planning. Next one is execution. So actually doing it. So how can I do things the most in the most effective manner? How can I execute in an, in an efficient, effective way? And the final piece is leadership communication piece. And this is where it's the most difficult. How do I deal with a diverse set of personalities when I, when I know the strategy and I know why I'm going to do it when I know how to like when I know how to execute it and make it happen, but how do I make sure that I have all these people around me doing the right thing and, and working together? So those tend to be the three pieces that I, I, um, I tend to work with uh, in the professional space. I, and then to your question of, do I work with sports coaches? I don't work with sports coaches. I've like, I coached my son. He's nine years old. I coached him baseball last nice. summer. There's COVID, no sport. Uh, so, <laughs> tell us about um, it. Uh, but uh, I've done some work with uh, the administrative staff at like uh, uh, like the Chicago Blackhawks. I worked with them uh, for a little bit. Uh, Green nice. Bay Packers, uh, Canucks, Oilers. So I've done, but more administrative work, uh, less on the the actual sport and play side of things. Um. And then the final question is you asked me a three part question. So you're making it. That's how I roll. Third third part of the question is how does sport transfer into business? Well, it does and it doesn't, right? Just because you're good at one thing doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be good at another thing. That said, you know, there's a lot of fundamental skills that you develop as, as an athlete, as a sportsman, as a sportswoman uh, that can get you there, that, that, 
You, know, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room, but if you have the hustle and the determination and, and you're smart enough and you're setting goals that are clearly aligned with, with your core values, then, um, then you'll get there in sport and that you'll get there in business. So you've, you have a lot of these, what I call professional skills, you'll have a better professional skill set to show up and get the job done. Uh, but you also need to develop the experience. Uh, but it's, it is valuable. It's valuable to have support, especially when you're in, in a larger organization because effective leadership requires an element of distance. And the more you move up the chain of command within an organization, the tighter the screws are turned upon you, the more is expected from you, uh, the more resources are given to you, but uh, the, you have to deliver because you're, you're not just providing for yourself anymore. You're providing for you know, hundreds, if not thousands of, of, of people and their families. So you have to make the right decisions and make sure that you're uh, doing things properly. Good stuff. Hey, Bones, what do you got? Well, I got to tell you, Adam, I, I went to Fanshawe College, or as we used to call it, Funshaw, in the early 1980s. Oh, yeah. And uh, I absolutely fell in love with London. It's my favorite uh, big town in Ontario. I, I just I played rugby there for London St. George and uh, absolutely love the city, still love the city. And uh, I have to tell you a quick little story. My uh, my wife uh, rode at McMaster, and she was the captain of the rowing team, and uh, she's probably going to strangle me when this show's over, but when I first dated her, I remember checking out her back, and it was, like, incredibly wide. <laughs> and it was from rowing. And I, and my bro- my little brother and I, who my brother played rugby for Canada for, for the National Senior Men's Team for 10 years, and we were always into weights, him and I. And we marveled at her back and we thought, wow, that's simply from rowing. And, you know, how can we incorporate that into our training? And down here in Belleville, there's a quite a good little rowing club, the, uh, the rowing club that we have here in Belleville. And, uh, I, I just, I love you talking about how you must wait until you, uh, decide what sport you're going to specialize in. I would say you have to wait until you fall in love with one sport over another. And I just wonder if you agree with that. Well, I think you, I would also have this conversation about when to stop a sport or quit a sport because the high performance path, I, I would say there, there are two deeply emotional parts when you're an athlete of, of the high performance sporting path. The one is when you decide, the first is when you decide that you're going to commit and you're going to go all the way. And maybe it comes from love. Maybe it comes from a pursuit of opportunity. To, you know, maybe it's a, a weight of potential that sits on your shoulders. And you say, this is my time in life. And it's a pretty compelling uh, push forward to say, this is what I want to do. I would say that there's different personality types. And different personalities would be motivated from different places of their, their spirit. And love is certainly a very sustainable force of energy, but I'd say people would come at it from different, uh, they might be motivated because they're a competitor and they believe that they can just be the best at this thing. And so that will, that will drive them and fire them up. Um, but, you know, when I'd say there's two, two very emotional parts, the first point is when you actually take that step and you say, I am going on this path of high performance. There is nothing else that I'm going mm-hmm. to do other than this sport. And I'm going to see what I can, 
where I can go and what's the maximum elevation I can get in this sport. And then the yep. second one is the time that you realize that you're done. And you yeah. say, there's now I'm, I'm getting off this high performance sport track and I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I have a slightly different perspective because I was, you know, I was an Olympic sport and it was very intense and, mm. you know, it was, it was all encompassing. So it was, you know, you didn't, you wouldn't be able to have a family. Like there's, the guys that I knew that started a family when they were, they were, they were on the pursuit, they either were, were horrible fathers and, and husbands, or they were be like, they dropped off as athletes. Yeah. Performance completely dropped yeah. off. So it was in my mind, it was yeah. always a choice, but then you see, yeah. like you see guys, like they go up in you know, professional hockey, that kind of thing. And, and they, they get into the family life and it's, it's a different energy. It's a different energy when you're, um, when you're balancing things, uh, uh, beyond just your sport, but I'd say that that's a. Um, I'm rambling here. Oh, that, that, hey, welcome to the show. That's yeah. pretty much the show. Hey, hey, that that being said, Adam, because that, it, you know better than anybody, the the lifespan of an Olympic athlete is relatively short. When you knew you were done. Uh, how did you feel? What well, that must have been very tough. Can you describe that? It was it was a feeling of mournful peace. Wow. It was you know is is rising from the fog of war, and I, I was pretty I was pretty lucky in that my Olympic journey finished with a storybook ending. You know, we won an Olympic gold medal in Beijing. We'd. Uh, you know, we had gone to Athens four years before expecting to finish on the podium, you know, battle for gold with the U.S., and we just we finished right out of the, the, the place, like fifth place. And then at the end of um, – in Beijing, we were in, you know, on the Shunyi course. We do the race, and a rowing race is, is interesting because it's a power endurance sport. So if you can picture if you are to hop on your skates and start going as hard as you could around 45 seconds in, you'll start to feel that deep burn when you're just, when you're pounding, 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 you, you keep that up for uh, five and a half, six minutes. And you try to completely empty everything out by the end of that. So mm. you just, your, your body's exploding. So there's a, like, there's a physical release and real pain. We cross the finish line. We celebrate. There's, like there's a surreal moment where everybody's paying a lot of attention to you and there's cameras in your face and you're hugging your buddies and you're like, you're crying like a man as the flag is <laughs> being raised and belting out the, the national anthem. And then, but the moment that was really meaningful to me, I'd, I'd say was about six hours, eight hours after that. And I was completely alone. There was no one else around and I was down by the water's edge and I just knew, I knew I was over. Like I'd, I'd hop in rowboats again and I'd race, but it would be like, it's like beer league. You know, it'd be, <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. But no. I'm just saying it's different. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's a different it's a mindset, a different heart set. You bring a different spirit to it. And there's a part of your life that you, the chapter is closed. And it was, uh, yeah. yeah, it was now. It felt pretty good I, <laughs> to, to, to yeah. not to not do that. <laughs> yeah. 
I now, just, Brian Price would that. love this, but how many times did you want to kill him? <laughs> kill, kill who? <laughs> Brian Price. <laughs> oh, Brian Price. Brian, Brian was the consummate. He's the consummate leader. Like, he is a wonderful human. Yeah. I would say yeah. Belleville should be proud that you oh, we are yeah. such yeah. such an amazing guy like that. Brian supremely is, confident, uh, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very confident, very positive, and you know, holds his own. You know, physically and stature, like he's only five foot three, five foot four, hanging yeah. around with a bunch of us like six foot <laughs> eight, eight goons, and has respect from every single one of them. And it's, it's not from any other way from just like how he carried himself and how professional he was, how much like he committed, you know, he had to commit in a slightly different way because he was, he had a different role, but no one doubted his commitment and no one doubted his authority. And he just, I've got all the respect in the world for Brian and all the time in the world for him. He's a pretty awesome yeah. human. So no, no I, fights, just uh, <laughs> just stroking as you yeah. go. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Brotherly love. I just have one more quick comment from Brian. I remember when we were doing stories with Brian when I used to work for the Intel not so long ago. And I, I, I always think of this. He had a great statement. He said, he said uh, to me, if one guy on our crew has one second of doubt, during a race, we lose. And his job was to eliminate that doubt. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, there's a lot that Brian can do to gain confidence because he is the one who has the voice. And it's it, the, the rowing aid is an absolutely interesting beast, and it's an interesting team sport because it's a it's a solitary sport. It's an individual sport together. You do it alone together. It's not like hockey where you do yeah. it together, together. Yep. You're like, okay, I'm passing to you. I'm here. We're looking around. No, I'm sitting in my channel and it's like, I'm, it's like you're going for a bike ride. I, this is the best way I can explain it because we've all gone for a bike ride. We've gone for a run, gone for a swim, or maybe you've done you know, speed skating on the track or something like that. But you go to a point, it's like, let's use a run. You go to a point, you're running, you're running, you're running, and say if you're running middle distance where you're pushing the edge and you're generating a lot of lactic acid, you're on the threshold. You get to a point where you either stop or you push through, right? You get to the, and you're like, okay, I've got to stop. Everyone has a point which they stop. But when you're in the middle of a rowing boat, there's seven other guys around you, and then there's Brian, who's the coxway, who's, who's the voice in your head. And you get to a point, you're doing a piece, say you're doing a, a three-minute piece, and you get into it, and you're thinking, I don't know if I can do it anymore, two minutes in. But the other side, the, the slides, you're on a sliding seat, so your, your legs are moving together, your backs are moving together, your arms are moving together, there's all this momentum. You, you get kind of sucked into this meditative force of movement. And you get to that wall, and you say, I don't know if I can do this anymore. But the other seven and Brian are saying, yeah, we're going to do this. And you hit mm. the wall and you get carried through the wall. And then you come out the other side and you finish. And you're like, I had no idea that any of that, this was in me. And so you mm. develop this divine sense of, of trust with, with everyone because they, they carry you through the low points and you do the same to everyone. But one of the secrets is to actually give, you give your brain up. In the rowing race, we train to give our brain up to Brian and we would have a race call that we had planned and rehearsed and refined over about eight years. 
And so the relationship that we built, and I found this fascinating, it doesn't happen anymore, but for a couple of years afterwards, whenever I'd watch the rowing race and Brian's voice superseded over the rowing race, he would, mm. whenever he would say a word, like we have something called jump and draw or one cut mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, close the gap or these seems like jargon, but they had very defined meanings of how we would move our bodies and, and how we would attack the strokes. Whenever I would hear those, I'd feel my body just flinching automatically. It's almost like he, he had a direct, his voice had a direct line to my autonomous nervous system. And it was engaging at a, like at a limbic level or below he, because as, as a coxswain, if you're controlling the volume the pacing of your voice, the excitement, the, you know, the words that you use, it's, um, our coxswain can win or lose a race and you, mm. and let alone steering the boat. Cause he steers the boat. If you were to look at the, the, the aerial photograph at our Olympic race, the, the British boat kind of goes to the side and like that, yeah. and they lose a seat. Yeah. They lose one seat. I've seen, I've seen races like one by that much. The coxswain yeah. can make all the difference. And Brian was, you know, was one of the best in the world. And uh, yeah. Excellent. Interesting. That's yeah, fascinating. Career. I, I just uh, to go back, I, to bones at the beginning of his questions, it's I'm, I'm starting to reevaluate my whole understanding of the story or that song baby got back after him discussing that whole thing. Sorry if I've been a little quiet cause I've been reevaluating that whole thing. But meanwhile, <laughs> one of the things that interests me is that, you know, for, for us watching you in, in that rowing team, you know, you mentioned the disappointment of, of losing to the U.S. And then, you know, going into the Beijing Olympics, you guys were one of those, you know, for sure's kind of thing. Like the expectation level was incredibly high. And that's when Canada focuses on, on you guys, you know. And in a lot of times, unfortunately, maybe you're in, not in that limelight. And one of the interesting places is um, – the Henley Regatta. And I had the pleasure when I lived in England to go to that. And, and can you speak of that? Cause in a lot of ways, it's kind of the Super Bowl of rowing in some ways. Would you agree? Or? Yeah, it's a very unique race. And I'd say it's one of the, you know, blue ribboned events in rowing. I could say of, you have the Olympics and you have the world championships, which happen. Olympics happen once every four years. World championships will happen every Every year, those are the those are the big ones. Then there's a World Cup in Lucerne that people focus upon. There's the Royal Henley Regatta, which is, has a very long and storied history. Uh, you've got the Boston Heather Charles down in Boston, which is probably one of the largest regattas in in the world. But the Royal Henley is is unique and it's pretty special because it's it's a mile and a quarter uh, long, so it's a little bit longer than your standard two thousand meter race. And you have, uh, it's only two boats, so it's an elimination style, you know, kind of like a tennis match or, you know, um, um, March Madness, you know, elimination bracket. So you show up, you you get the draw, and then you just race one-on-one. And uh, the there's different strategy there than six-lane racing. So if you... If you get the lead, then you just you try to wait down the other boat and conserve your energy so you can keep moving up the brackets and uh, and move along. 
we won the we won the Royal Henley Regatta three times, three times. Uh, uh, while I was on the team, and it was, it's a special race. You know, it's if you think of, it's up there with you know Wimbledon in tennis, and uh, the uh, there's a horse race. I'm blanking on the name of the the horse race that that's in the the same area. Mm-hmm. So you Plate. tend to have, yeah, the Queen's Plate. So you go to the Queen's Plate, you go to Wimbledon, you go to the Royal Henley Regatta, and and they're big events. There's thousands and thousands of people there lined up uh, along the shores and uh, it's yeah it, it's uh, yeah it, it was a f- fantastic event Very and cool. uh, eye-opening and it was especially uh, meaningful because our coach uh, was born in Marlow, England which is close to Henley on the Thames and so we had a lot of connections with, with the Brits and uh, you know, to see the tradition and to see all that has gone into it, we've we've done our best to bring bring that back. I suppose you know, as you move, you know, move on in your career, and you start looking back, looking back fondly onto these races, you'd like to see similar types of events, uh, you know, created in your own Canadian way, you know, here in Canada. And so we've been doing that out here on the West coast, creating something called the Brown cup and bringing that up to the next level. It was started in the nineties. And, uh, that's, you know, I think that's, that's the fun of it. You know, you, you participate as an athlete, then you grow up and you act as a coach and an administrator and you're trying to set up the system so that you're passing on values to the next generation that you're, uh, you're building a society and a, a system that, you know, the next group of people can really benefit from and grow from. And, uh, that was, that was the gift, really the gift of you stand on the shoulders of giants. And so many people had set up great races and great competitive opportunities. And I'm so grateful to have had, uh, had that opportunity and hope is to pass it on in the future. I know Mike had had a question for you about uh, your, your own personal adventure rowing. Mike, did you want to bring that up? (laughs) Well, yeah, I was doing some research and I do have one less less kind of serious question, but I'll ask this one first, but uh, I'm a big, I'm a sucker for the survival story. Right. And so you were, you did the rowing across from Africa and you yeah. guys tipped and everything. Like, I got to hear that story, man. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> so picture yourself in a boat. You've got you, <laughs> me, Zach, and the other guy who's on the phone that I don't know his name. That's <laughs> Paul. <laughs> and it's, it's actually Randy. It's not even Zach. Bone. Randy. Oh, it's Randy. <laughs> the four of us oh, were in sorry. a small little room. Smaller, like the size of your bathroom or smaller. I'm assuming you get a small bathroom. And you spend 73 days. 73 days on the boat. Fun. And the only time Zach can go to the bathroom is when he has a small five-gallon bucket right in front of you. And you're, and you're cooking and you're eating and you're doing science experiments and you're rowing 12 hours a day. And so we launched from Africa in... Uh, I think it was late January and we got hammered by a bunch of storms when we left for about 14 days. And then the weather started to clear. We broke an oar in the first uh, on day 10. We got lifted up by a house size wave. It threw us to the bottom, smashed us around. Uh, 
if we weren't strapped in with our safety harnesses, I would, we would have, would have lost uh, my buddy Jordan. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was spooky at times, but then other times it was absolutely beautiful and really outworldly. Right? You'd be out in the middle of the ocean. And honestly, the best time in the middle of the ocean is the middle of the night. There's nobody around. You're, you're closer to Commander Hatfield in the International <laughs> Space Station than you are to anyone else on land. So if you can picture that, like that's how big the ocean is. Yeah. And that's how far away we were. And you're just, you're watching the stars rise and, and set, you're watching the sun rise and set the moon rise and set. And you just feel connected and in rhythm. And it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty incredible experience. You're out there with your buddies, you're having fun. Um, there's some, you know, there's some hairy experiences and then there's some beautiful experiences like phosphorescence was one of the, the, the things we saw out there. So the ocean, there's these little critters in the ocean and they start glowing yeah. when, uh, when you touch them. And so you'd be rowing along at night and you'd have a Dorado fish, like a big fish or a dolphin swim by and they'd leave these beautiful green gl- glowing streaks in the water and you just, um, you're wow. amazed by it. Very cool. Or there was another time we were, I was sleeping in the cabin and the guys, the guys on deck were, were rowing. They just start screaming. They're like, Oh my God, you gotta come out here. Come on, come see this. Come get us. <laughs> what is, and you open up the door and it's a moon bow, right? You see a freaking <laughs> moon bow. So it was raining and the moon was reflecting off the rain, casting this, this wow. weird muted colored moon bow against the, the, like the Milky way and the stars. It was, it was divine wow. and uh, special. And the, the other benefit was to the, just the connection with, with the guys when you're out there, it's the ultimate, adventure you peel to the cores of the onion you get to know absolutely everything about the guys that you're out there with because you have nothing else to do but you know talk about whatever pops up into your mind you have the space to process process different thoughts but then we got 70 73 days in it was the sun was rising and it's usually a little bit rougher around the sunrise because the, there's a, a bit of a heat gradient so the the wind's a little bit stronger on the sunrise. It lifted up the waves. It hit us with a funky wave. It wasn't even the biggest wave we've seen, but it hit us at the wrong time, at the wrong angle, and it flooded our sleeping cabin. We were going through a shift change, so if the wave had hit five minutes earlier, five minutes later, it just would have been, oh, that was a wave. But because the door was open, the guys had just come out onto deck. I had climbed into the cabin, Pat was just at the door getting ready to come in and finishing brushing his teeth. And then the wave picks us up. Jimmy jacks us, slams us. And then the water starts coming in. I see Pat. I'm like, Pat, go, Pat, go. I push Pat out of the hatch. And the hatch door is pretty small. You know, it's, I have to like, squeeze my shoulders to get through. But we're upside down and I'm trapped. So I'm trapped. So imagine you're trapped in this small little four foot, four foot, eight foot compartment water's coming in it's rushing too hard for you to fight against so you're stuck in a small compartment and so then i pop my head up and i just have this moment 
and we said like you experience this in sport to a certain extent where everything slows right down and you know that this is the time that it actually matters and this was a life or death sort of do this properly or you're or you're done so i think everything slows down and i just think you know my training as an athlete kicks i think okay focus on breath get your breath slow down do it properly take another breath dive down look you see the light you push yourself out everything's hanging upside down and then we get around i'm like are you okay are you okay are you okay everybody's okay and we have these these beacons here i've got one i'll show you it right here (laughs) he's grabbing the beacon off the wall look at that (laughs) this was marcus's beacon so we had one of these beacons from the, and we press the button. Like we hold up the button and like, you know, do we press? So the question like, is this an emergency? Do we press the button? And <laughs> Marcus was like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. What do you think, Jordan? Yeah, Pat, do we press the button? Pat hmm. holds his up and it's already blinking. <laughs> I, already, I already pressed mine, guys. <laughs> and so, you know, we go around and the other yeah, the other thing was that that uh, Marcus was sitting on the the can, the five gallon bucket, and so he literally like caught with his pants down, and I'm looking literally, down, yeah, his yeah. eyes are <laughs> literally, and his eyes are burning red, and I look him in the eyes, and I see there's this piece of poo floating right beside his head. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like I was like. Marcus, look beside you, and he looks over. He's like, "Yeah, really hit the fan, didn't?" <laughs> Kept a sense of humor in a uh, critical oh. time. Oh, what <clears throat> we kind of we got, but then we got to work. We did the training, right? And this is the say we did the emergency training, and we you know deployed our life raft. We five hours after we capsized, the um, the Coast Guard showed up, and thirteen hours after we capsized a rescue vessel came and we we climbed on board and they took us to to san juan puerto rico Hmm. wow i i um we we haven't we don't want to keep you too much longer adam because we could probably talk to you for about three hours here but um i want to i'll send around the horn at the end we really we want to talk to you about your your book we want to hear about your book and we also want to find out how uh, people can get in touch with you with regards to corporate events and stuff but bones you got any more questions um for adam? uh just just one adam because uh brian's from our hometown and now lives in orangeville um do you guys all keep in touch yeah we do yeah he's a bank manager he manages a bank in uh, an rbc <laughs> bank yeah and he says, That's good. Yeah. And it's all it's all women that he manages. He says it's it's very different. It's very different. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Bones, we actually we have Brian coming to our sportsman's dinner for the hospital uh, fundraiser uh, in yeah. February. Nice. And Brian back in town for that. Uh, I always look forward to seeing him. Yeah. The little train that could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mike, any, Mike, anything else for Adam? One quick. I mean, I've. I don't know if I've ever spoken to anybody who's actually been in the Athletes Village, but I've heard the story. So I got. I need a story from being in the Athletes Village in Beijing. And we only yeah, have like two Athletes listeners, Village. so I mean, it's just us, really. <laughs> 
I gotta keep it PG. So this was one. This is one thing. I I went to the warm up track because uh, uh, I was like I you know just to do some running, jogging, keep keep limber. And I saw this guy is like an Ethiopian runner, uh, one of the marathoners. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm gonna see if I can keep up to this guy and see if I can. And so he's he's running, and I go and I start running, and I'm sprinting, and I'm kind of staying next to him. And I'm like, wow, I can keep up to this guy. And then. He clicks into the on segment of his interval <laughs> training and he speeds away. And so he was actually just doing his, his rest run while uh, <laughs> I was sprinting as hard as I possibly could to keep up with him. <laughs> and then he just he absolutely took away. Uh, you know, the Athletes Village is it's an interesting place. We didn't spend a whole lot of time, to be honest with you, as rowers because we were at a course outside. Uh, there's a lot of you know, different people, different nationalities. It's funny how you you play different games of spot that sport. So you look at different people's body types and you just say, well, what a, kind of athlete is that? Because yeah. obviously like a rower is not a middle distance runner, is not a shot putter, is not a cyclist, is not a softball player, right? Everyone is they're just different. And you have different personality, the personalities and the... Um, you know, that was another game we play. Well, another thing was find that, the all players because they're carrying a six pack through the village, aren't they? Oh, much? they are. It was it was hilarious when the when the baseball guys showed up. You're like, these guys are here to party. They're not here to. Like, <laughs> I'm in the wrong sport. It's a different. Well, it's a, just a different sport. It's funny. It's because rowing is very physical. It doesn't have like the skill component where you you don't have to be a great physical athlete to. Like if you have the skill, but, uh, and so, but if you have the skill, you can, you can be a bit more brutal to your physical conditioning and, uh, <laughs> still, still get what you want out of the experience <laughs> as a baseball player. Gotcha. <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> Depends on your so, position. I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're well, a pitcher, uh, yeah. Yeah. So Adam, thanks for, I really appreciate joining. So if someone wanted to get a hold of you for your services for corporate stuff, can you explain a little bit of what you do there and then uh, a little roundup of your book and then we'll, we'll let you go. Okay. So um, I've been delivering uh, keynote addresses to groups for, you know, for over a decade and uh, maybe it's close to two. I don't know. I'm getting old now. But uh, believe me, we uh, understand. You're not even 40, are you? Yeah, I'm 40. Oh, God, you're a kid. I've got kids. I've got three children. I wrote a book called The Responsibility Ethic. It's a good read. If you like sports and adventure stories, this is it right here. Uh, It has a lot of good reviews on Amazon. People are liking it. It talks about talks sports stories, adventure stories, and then uh, breaks out into leadership insights and personal development principles. So that's, that's a great way to, you know, if you enjoyed some of these stories, you want to dig a little bit deeper. It's coming out in an audiobook in the fall, uh, which, you know, would be a good listen. Uh, I'm, I work as an, as an executive coach. So if, uh, anyone out there is in need of executive coaching, if they, you know, they've moved into a new leadership position and need some support in that, uh, they're looking to, you know, optimizing 
to optimize their earning potential in their, their organization or their corporation. So I can help have these conversations to, to push up your earnings, help you rise up the ranks and have less headaches as you're managing the people, uh, um, you know, within your leadership position. So that's, that's one service I offer as well as, uh, Occasionally, I'll take teams off off-site and run strategic planning um, weekends. That's a little bit more involved, and and then I do the the keynotes. So if people want to get in um, in touch with me, they can find me on my website. It's www.creekspeak.com. That's Creek with a K K R E E K S P E A K dot com, or you can find me on LinkedIn uh, or Twitter. I'm at Adam Creek on Twitter and I'm and Adam Creek with a K on LinkedIn. So we can connect. Perfect. Adam, do you still get out in canoe once in a while? <laughs> oh, <the> canoe. <laughs> Sorry, Randy. <laughs> I'm not going to throw you the bus bones. No, I'll probably canoe. I canoe in the summertime. I've, uh, I work with a, a rowboat company here on Vancouver Island. We have these uh, nice. tall spirit rowboats. So I go out with my kids, or we've got these other things called oar boards. They're rowing rigs you strap on top of a, a stand-up nice. board. And so usually, usually, most of the rowing I get on, or I hop on a rowing machine in my garage, I'll ha- I might do one or two masters races in a year, uh, down and go over out to Boston or, um, maybe do one locally here, but the, yeah, most of the, most of the time I'm rowing, it's, you know, I want to spend time with my kids while they're young. So we, we hop in these bigger boats and we just tool around on the water and nice. go camping nice. look for wolves and good stuff. Yeah. Whatever. My cousin lives in Euclid. Oh, you cure it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. that's a great place. Yuki. Yuki. Yeah. Yuki. <laughs> well, thanks, Adam. I really appreciate you taking the time. And um, if we can, we might bug you again at some point. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's stay in touch. And uh, it was nice to meet each of you, Mike, Randy, Zach. <sighs> well, it's Paul Svoboda. And Zach is my son, so he's been oh, taking Paul. Oh, Paul. He's taken over my uh, my Zoom calls, and unfortunately, oh, Paul. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, bonus, uh, yeah, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Good luck with the book. Best of luck. Cheers. Thank you. Okay. Well, that was uh, very interesting. What uh, you could tell, he could have talked for hours about that. Oh man! That, that no kidding, eh? Rowing. Yeah. Well, hey, we didn't even yeah. get into the Olympics, yeah. man. There, how many stories must there be? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's there's a the the village. I think we have to have a different podcast that we talk about the stories from the village. <laughs> we need the spit and chicklets yeah, guys to do that. He was very one. he was very terse about that. <laughs> yeah. Not much information. Yeah. What happens in the village stays there. I suspect. <laughs> well, we we've got um, Cameron Perrow is going to join us. He's uh, he's playing golf right now, so um, so we can talk a little bit before we we get him on. Am I? Um, do I have to send him the Zoom link or? Uh, I think we're going to be talking to him on via phone. So, um, but we can talk. Let's. I just want to slip back. I know we we uh, sometimes we started with uh, talking about about CIS, U Sports, CFL, and obviously I wanted to to really just duck in a little bit on recent uh, movement with the OMHA and and you know obviously Hockey Canada kind of removed all of their restrictions on what they were doing. 
And, um, mm. and now the OMHA had a, a meeting with all the uh, different associations this past week, and they're committed to, to running this fall. And it just speaks Good. to what you're talking about, Bones, about oh, man. really helping Let's get on with it, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the intention yeah. that OMHA said was that uh, their intention is, despite all the rumors, that they're going to play and, and told all the associations to be ready to go for for um, uh, Labor Day weekend. And the idea yeah. is that the parents probably won't be allowed to hang around or mill about the uh, lobby, which is probably a good thing for every coach. <laughs> good. <in the> association. <laughs> but, That's great. But they, yeah. they, the, the players will come in, they'll go in their dress room, they'll get dressed, um, and then yeah. all the fans can come in and watch the games with masks on. That seems yeah. to be what the protocols are talking about. And, you know, like the WHO just came out with some statement basically saying that the the idea of the asymptomatic spreaders is probably a less impactful than anyone thought, that it's really people with exactly. So if that's true, you know, we can yeah. pretty much be just stay home. If you if you don't, then maybe you wear a mask, and, and people should wear a mask at all these events where we're a little close to shoulder. And maybe that'll eliminate a lot of the – some of the risk. You're not going to eliminate all the risk. And of course it, not. it will help. So saying that, like I've just ordered a whole whack of uh, Wellington Dutes masks for our season because <laughs> I'm yeah. anticipating we're going <laughs> to – have fans with uh, masks on. So, you know, what are your, your guys' thoughts on, on some of that um, now that you hear what the OMH is thinking? Is that reasonable thinking, which I I think it is. But. I, I honestly, I, I, I just I hope- say no more helmets, just masks. <laughs> <laughs> like cowboy masks. <laughs> Craig, Craig McTavish, you know. Gordy Let's Howe. go back to the old days, yeah. Um, honestly, I the only thing, I just hope they're taking the advice of the right people, right? Like they're, they're, they're not kind of thumbing their nose to the people who actually understand this stuff. Cause I don't, I'm no expert. I, I've, I've got, I bought some masks for the family to wear. I don't wear them a whole lot around, but if, you know, if I'm in some place that, uh, I've got to be wow. close to people, I'll put it on, but that's about it. But I mean, we're, our yeah. area, we're pretty lucky. There's zero active yeah. cases. So exactly, I think the, the travel restriction yeah. is the biggest thing. And I think for rep, that will be interesting because there, you know, there's yeah. still an issue in Toronto. Go back to the local leagues. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think, I don't, I don't know if they're talking about that, but I, I just, again, I, I know it's easy to say, yeah, let's just go ahead. I just, you'd hate to see, a major outbreak happened wow. because and now, you, know, yeah, you go so, to a tournament, you yeah. know, a bunch of people from a bunch of places go to a tournament. And I mean, that's what, that's how a lot of these outbreaks happen, right? Whether it was Boston with that conference, it just takes, you know, like you say, Paulo, if it's kind of, if you're keeping relatively yeah. local and you know, things are relatively under control, I would think it'd be manageable. But again, I'm, I'm no expert. I'm just wow. some Yahoo does. A the kids are still in the lowest possible risk group worldwide. And especially in North America. So let's get on with it. I don't get it. Let's look after our old. Let's look after our infirm. Let's look after our unhealthy. The kids are good to go. It's been proven. Look at the stats. Like it's, it's way past time now. Like I, I drive by playgrounds every day. I just can't believe it. Like what the heck? Like our kids have to get out and play and start living again like this. It's ridiculous. It really is. And uh, when you look at the uh, World 
health organization, they've changed their tune about three or four different times on masks alone. And then uh, Richard Shabas, who used to be our medical officer of health, uh, said he was on the record the other day in a, in a paper up in Durham. He's retired now. He said, hey, kids got to get going. Let's get the kids going. Like we said, leave the parents at home, but get the kids going. Like, got to go. They have to go. They got to get going. We have to look after our risk groups, but the rest of the people should start going and, uh, you know, doing the things they usually did. I think that, you know, like the CGHL is powering for trying to get a plan together. Um, NCAA is interesting. I, I think it was Army and Navy that were going to play a game in, in Ireland or Britain. And um, they canceled that game the end of August, but they, they're still carrying on with the game back in Maryland. So, you know, the NCAA is powering on. Notre Dame said that all their sports are going to be going forward. And so I, I think yeah. all of those, there's obviously going to be some people that are concerned, um, obviously concerned about the fans. But um, like you said, it's the CFL sounds like they're in a hell of a, a, a mess. Uh, I yeah. really feel bad for the CFL. I love the CFL. And I don't know what the heck they're going to do. Like it's, it's they're in a tough spot. Yeah, yeah. I, and I OUA football too. Like what the heck? They've they've canned the whole year. And it, you know, Dave Naylor, one of our former guests, there was talking on uh, on a, a couple of um, interviews in the last couple of days about what the um, how this is going to affect Canadian football players in the CFL, um, in their development pathways because, yeah. you know, oh, big time. Yeah. And it's, it's a real challenge. I, you know, I'm surprised that they would, you know, football still a big part of, of, uh, U sport C, you know, yeah. CIS sports. You know, I, I, I know it's kind of tough to play football in, uh, um, in January in Saskatoon, but, um, <laughs> at the same time, do you, do you consider, moving that sport to the end of the season, do they, do they have a, uh, you know, maybe a, a spring league? Like we, you know, you would see um, down in the States, sometimes uh, a lot of like lacrosse and some of the sports starting around, you know, February, March. I know it's a little further south in some of our places, but we may be able to make it work in some of the stadiums. Like um, what are your thoughts on that of just changing the season? Well, I'm, I'm just really, as I said, at, at the top of the show, really disappointed that the OCAA and the OUA just bailed. I mean, that's six months worth of sports. And uh, even though Ontario was crawling along at a snail space, uh, you know, there are like this Friday, there's some new announcements about what can and can't be open. But I just can't believe that those organizations are uh, like folding the tent now. That kills football, rugby, volleyball, basketball, hockey. Like, give me a break. I mean, this, uh, and people that tell me that, okay, this will all, all be okay once we get a vaccine. There, there may never be a vaccine. Got to learn to deal with it. So let's start dealing with it. And the numbers don't lie. Like those people that are playing uh, high school and university sports, they're in the absolute lowest risk group. So let them play. Maybe don't let the fans come or, you know, designate the stadiums for, uh, you know, every other seat or whatever. But I, I you know what, I'm, I've, it's gotta, we've gotta move on. And, uh, the professional sports are trying to do it. 
and again, I think it comes back to insurance, uh, kids going to university. I think, uh, you know, that it's the universities and they're, uh, they sign up as students, of course. And, uh, I think it's, uh, being killed by the fact that, uh, you know, that the insurance companies are saying, well, you know, who's liable and who's not. And, uh, wow. I mean, Hey, yeah, New Zealand, I, I jokingly said to a buddy of mine the other day, New Zealand is opening wide open. Let's all move down there and start playing rugby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the fair, if they let us in, they were the ones who <laughs> clamped down the hardest earliest, on, right? Yeah. I mean, the reason What's they're that? able to is because they clamp down uh-huh. the hardest earliest. Yeah. Well, right? hey, that's I mean, a debate I don't, too. You eh? can't, yeah. you can't, uh, I don't think it, uh-huh. it's fair to dismiss the risk. Like it's a significant risk. Uh-huh. And you look at Florida, it's, Florida's, it's Florida's had their the highest numbers. Florida's had their uh-huh. highest numbers for about uh-huh. a week in a row now. And they're going up. And so is Texas. And so is California. Okay. But who recovers? The young people recover. The old people not so much. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's fine. Then it becomes but, an emotional argument, and I refuse to. But can, be, I, I guess I the risk is to engage in an emotional people. argument. If it's the young people, if the yeah, oh, I'm with you, but that's what the young people recover. No young people are dying from this. They're contagious. Right? None. So they're going to be None. in contact with old people. Uh, I mean, that's well, that's what happened in Italy, right? Then you kill the economy, and then you might as well kiss goodbye to everything, including sports. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one of the, you know the last time we were talking about it and obviously I, I'll state my bias because I'd like to see the NHL draft go sooner than later but, <laughs> uh, but um, at the same time I listened to what you said Mike Law, on the last podcast about uh, I don't know who it was it was Friedman or whatever but the whole idea that and I never really realized it until you said it was that we go this year the hockey season they finish in say September um, they take a break. They get back at it in December. We never really, and then over the course of the next four or five years, are going to slowly try to get back to normal. Like, what? Yeah. It's just hockey's meant to start in October. You know, like yeah. the whole rhythm of sports, the rhythm of everything yeah. falls out of sync. And I, I don't know yeah. why you can't pull the bandage and said, guys, you know, we're going to start a little bit earlier. Um, do something. Yeah. I, I shorten the season or do something to get us so we're back to where we were. Or just like you said, let's just forget about this year, write it mm-hmm. off and start in October. Like we were like all over again. Did I, you? I, the more I look at yeah. it, I love, I, I, I've dreamt about hanging around in the pool with my TV outside <laughs> watching games. <laughs> beer. I think it's going to be fantastic yeah. playing. Was I invited? Yeah. <laughs> no offense, Paul, but you're not in the fantasy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't want to be in the fantasy. I just wanted to be invited. I want to tailgate in the back. Good one, Mike. But at the same time, I don't want to look at October and go, Jesus, hockey's not happening now. Like when everything is Mm -hmm. actually getting going. And it's just, I don't know, everything's out of sync. Dogs with cats, the world's falling together. It's just horrible. Yeah, absolutely. But but what if this is all done and they realize that you know we were the the government made us w- was trying to convince us to be too afraid. Like that can happen. Like I don't get that. Like everybody's too many people are just buying into everything they hear every day. Um, yeah, I, I understand it's a it's a serious issue, but. There, it has been, um, you know, proven through statistics and so forth, and we're not getting all of them. 
you know, it's, it's the same thing. Certain groups are at risk and certain groups are not. And to just uh, blithely can seasons with six months to go until you see what happens. Uh, just it's, it's, I'm really frustrated at this point. Really am. And I understand some people say it's selfish. You're a sports guy. You love sports. Well, true. But I don't know. It's, uh, it's driving me a little nuts right now. Thanks for letting me rant. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't do it here, where can you do it, right? <laughs> Sorry, Randy? Yeah. I'm just going to say the migrant worker that passed away, unfortunately, uh, about a week ago here, that was only 24, you know, it kind of opens your eyes up a little bit. It makes you worried. Um, you don't know, like, those poor guys are, are living all in really close quarters. You know, it's all about risk mitigation. And I, I agree with you, Bones, we're going to need to get going, but there has to be some controlled risk mitigation. And I think if everyone's educated and you really valid point about let's get as much information out on the table and, and stop fear mongering a little bit. Like I'd like to hear what the actual facts are. So the WHO has made another recommendation that, you know, obviously the asymptomatic issue is, is not as big as that everyone thought it was. So we should yeah. be able to get on self quarantining. And, and I know you've got an element of the population that's not going to do that. Um, but at the same time, we, can you know take care of some of that risk and mitigate the risk with mass so i'm with you i'd like to see everything open up so we've killed this horse for enough probably <laughs> um the, the uh, i guess we should and shut up for being so sensible <laughs> <laughs> i um i, I want to try to get cam Pero on here i um cam is um a local guy, he's, uh, he's 16, he'll be 17 the end of the year. He's got a late birthday, and uh, he's going into grade 12 out in Picton. And he's one of those young gun golfers we got in the area, him and uh, Kendrick Webster and Caden Holmes out in Napanee. And last year, all three of those guys, they're all 16 years old, well, 15 turning 16 last year. They all won the seniors' men champions at their, at their local respective golf clubs. So um, all three incredible golfers all coming through together at once, and I had the pleasure of playing with uh, Mike, his dad, and and uh, Cameron about a week ago, and it was humbling to play with him at the least. Uh, he, the kid hits a long, long ball. He's got a huge future in front of him, so looking forward to having a quick chat with, with him. So, Cam, thanks for joining us, buddy. I know you uh, you just got off the course. What would you shoot, about 68 down in Picton today? Um, actually, didn't even keep score. I was around. Oh, man, it must be nice. <laughs> oh, man. I'm hanging up now for real. <laughs> Cam, I, I, I just got a couple quick questions, and I'll pass you around to the boys a little bit. But, um, I, you know, obviously your dad was a, a, a hell of a golfer, and, and he was a great hockey player. He, he was a, a bobcat. We're having a, a big bobcat night this year. Um but, um, you know, can you tell me a little of the influence of having your, uh, your dad help you, uh, through, through guide you through this process of becoming a, a golfer and, and sports in general? Cause I know he's been involved in your hockey. You're a pretty good hockey player. I've seen you play. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a huge influ- influence on me. Uh, he's been my hockey coach since a novice through Bantam, I think. And he, he always helps me with my golf. He's my golf coach pretty much. So he's always giving me swing tips and uh, tweaking my swing to make me better, get me back to my fundamentals. So, and he's always been playing alongside with me and pushing me because he's, he's a good player, as you know. 
and it's fun to compete with him on the course. He's got a great way about uh, to see you guys interact on the golf course and, and you know, how, how yeah. the positive criticism, the way he, he deals with you in such a positive way and, and um, able to make a small correction and, and, and make a huge difference in how you're playing. It was, it was really neat for me to watch him coach you and, and the relationship you guys have is, is pretty special. So it was very cool. Bones, you got some questions for Cam? Yeah. Cam, uh, one in particular, I'm a really crappy golfer. I uh, used to enjoy it. And then, uh, when I had my kids, I kind of got away from it for a while and I never really have gotten back. But I, uh, one thing that's kind of crazy, I love to read about golf. And I, uh, during this whole, uh, COVID thing, I've dug up some old books that I've read before. And one of them was about Ben Hogan, who was one of the most, you know, greatest golfers in, uh, the history of golf. And he said, yeah. golf is all about management. And I, that really stuck in my head. Uh, would you agree? And how would you describe that? Of course I would agree. Yeah. Uh, it's all about managing your ball, managing your emotions. You know, if, if you have a bad shot, you need to be able to manage your emotions, make sure, uh, you get back on track on the next goal and don't get down and uh, managing your ball. You, you always want to put your ball in the best position possible to uh, have an easier next shot. So, yeah, I totally agree with Ben Hogan on that one. Now, he always said he never golfed against fellow golfers in tournaments, only golfed against himself. Can you, uh, can you talk about that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've ever thought about that. But um, I, I see where he's coming from. Uh, he obviously has an internal uh, competition with himself. Um, but I don't know. I've never really thought about that. Yeah, he said he would look at a course, understand what he might be able to shoot, and then he said that that's what it was all about for him. If I can shoot that score not worried about the other guys. Um, how do you approach, uh, tournaments? Well, I, uh, most of my tournaments are courses I've never played before. So often I get a practice round to get a feel for the course. And, uh, kind of like what Ben Hogan does, I have sort of a goal, what I want to shoot, uh, uh, knowing how it's going to affect, uh, or, uh, go with my game. Cause, uh, I'm a, I hit a pretty straight. I'm not the longest, but I hit it pretty far. So different courses will affect my game differently. Um, so yeah. Do you have a favorite club? <laughs> favorite club. Um, I like my driver when I'm hitting it well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had an old five wood my brother gave me that I loved. <laughs> But I never knew where it was going to go. <laughs> hey, Cameron. Mike, this, yeah, this is Mike. I was just, uh, I was wondering. So the funny thing with us starting this podcast is, you know, we were going to cover local sports and, and, you know, all the big stuff too. And we started right when COVID hit. So everything shut down. <laughs> so uh, yeah. that unfortunately has been a big part of what we've talked about. So I'm curious, how has that affected your training, your play? And then uh, what, um, specifically are you like what areas your game are you focused on to improve this summer 
Uh, well, obviously, I need to improve every part, all parts of my game. Uh, my chipping, my putting, my driving, my long irons, my short irons, everything. Uh, I've been keeping busy. My local gym is closed, so I've been able to work out in my basement. I'm pretty fortunate for that. And uh, I've been playing with my dad a lot and also working at my local golf course. So a lot of the tournaments that I was scheduled to play in have been canceled, and some of them might be postponed. We're not sure yet. So I'm trying to keep my my game up there, but... Uh, yeah, I don't have really any tournaments coming up shortly. So has that, have you found that to be a, a challenge then for you to, to stay sharp? Like, is it a different mindset or for you going into like playing tournaments regularly as opposed to just you know, going out with your dad and, and playing a few rounds during the week? Yeah, I, I think so. I, yeah. When I'm in a tournament, I'm so, sort of more locked in and, when I'm playing with my dad, uh, just playing around for fun and practicing, I'm hitting like a few balls here and there. So it's probably not as good for my game because I'm getting used to having a second ball to rely on or something like that. But it's, I don't find it's affecting me too much. So, yeah, you're, you're young. You'll get over it. It absolutely devastate (laughs) our games. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, Randy. <laughs> no, I, I, I think, you know, I, Cam, the, the great thing about, um, you know, for, for you guys having, uh, we talked to Kendrick Webster previously, and um, okay. you talked about competition. I know you guys are all buddies, um, Caden, Caden Holmes and Kendrick and yourself, and but you there's got to be some healthy competition. And um, I don't know if you watched the Michael Jordan uh, thing, but, uh, you know, obviously – he would create a little bit of competition for himself in his head just to, to bring the best out of him. Do you, do you find like, uh, would you gather up those guys just to have a little, little head to head over the summer just to play each other? If you can't get a tournament going, just to have a little healthy competition. Yeah, I definitely do that. I actually, uh, did that with Caden Holmes. I think two summers ago, uh, he came and played picked in my home course and it was a lot of fun. Uh, our course is, you kind of got to know, know your way around. So, um, uh, I definitely had the advantage there, but, uh, he held his ground and, um, I, I actually haven't played with Kendrick outside of a tournament, but we're good buddies. So I bet we would definitely get a game this summer. We could we could uh, probably televise this on local TV. We could get the three of you guys out there, maybe with uh, with Paul Svoboda playing as the fourth. There you go. And um, wow. we can do this as part of a Kojiko. I like. I'm used to doing uh, color commentary. Yeah. Get some trash talking going. It'd be fun. <laughs> I, I I wanted to ask you uh, why do you love golf, and what's the best advice you would give younger kids than you? coming up that have fallen in love with the game as you have? Um, well, I love golf just because it's an individual game and it really tests how you can manage your emotions and manage your ball. Um, it's, it's just kind of different from all the other sports that I play. 
which is hockey and basketball and all, most of the school sports, which are all team sports. And you can rely on all your other teammates if, to bail you out if you fail. So it really tests you, and I just find that fun. Um, so, yeah. What would you say to a younger kid who has suddenly uh, developed the same uh, love for golf that you have coming up? What would you, maybe three tips for kids younger than you that really want to pursue golf? Um, I, w- I would tell them to set goals. Uh, don't get ahead of themselves. I know some of the kids who play with me, sometimes I find get discouraged because I'm playing better than them and they don't want to play with me because they're sometimes embarrassed. But uh, I would just say uh, just stay confident and play your own ball, focus on your own game. Just uh, focus on yourself. Nice. Okay, so Cameron, last one from me. I'm going to put you on the spot a bit. So fantasy land here, you can play with one. You get, you get a round of your choice. You can play with one pro golfer of your choice on any course in the world that you would play next week. Who's the golfer and where's the, which course? Uh, I definitely play with Tiger. Nice. Probably uh, either Pebble Beach or... Uh, oh. <laughs> Definitely Pebble Beach, yeah. Nice. What about Augusta? Would you want to go to Augusta? I would want to go to Augusta. <laughs> Didn't think of that. It's not a bad place to play. Good stuff. <laughs> what do you like about Tiger? Well, he's just the greatest. What's not to like about him? Yeah, okay, that's a good argument. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're, um, you know, and the last one too. I know you you're obviously biased about your home course there, so we'll leave that out of the equation. What what are the other courses in our area that you uh you enjoy playing? That I have played? Yeah, just just, hey, Randy? just playing. Which which golf courses around Yep. Okay. Uh I played Black Bear in Belleville, I played Trillium Woods, I played uh Bay Aquini. I played Napanee, uh I love Napanee. <laughs> which one? Which, which one's which your one? favorite of the ones you mentioned? Um, I like Black Bear. Black Bear is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a nice Thank course. Yeah. What about snapping? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not a bad course, though, is it? Yeah, <laughs> it's not bad. It's not as nice as Black Bear. Yeah, I just wanted to say that. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So much for the advertising part of the Napanee Golf and Country Club. So, uh, <laughs> but um, so so. Anyways, Cameron, you know, obviously we're we're very proud of you. Is um, you know, having you got you and Caden and uh, and Kenrick all winning your uh, your local uh, championships. It's obviously bodes well for local golf here. So we're obviously very proud and and wish you the best of luck. I'm I'm pretty confident you're going to have a pretty long career as long as you want wherever you want to go so best of luck and thanks for joining us today it was really appreciative next time i see you in the course take it easy on me too yeah thank you uh, glad to have, glad to be on here right. good luck cameron thank cheers you. cameron thanks
Thank you. Mike Perro, Cam's dad was a, uh, a heck of a hockey player as well as a golfer. Obviously, he was a PGA pro, and then he, but he, he was on an NCAA scholarship for golf down at uh, Miami of Ohio. And then, uh, but he, he was a good hockey player too. He played. He was he was a year older than me, and I remember we we used to go into Picton, and then they would kick our butts, and usually it had something to do with him scoring three or four goals. And then he became a pretty good hockey player at uh, with the Bobcats back in the day too. So yeah, I remember yeah, watching they, him. That's when I would go to every Friday night, eight thirty at the Trenton Community Gardens, go see uh, the Bobcats, and uh, I remember watching Mike Perro. Yeah, he was a. He is a good hockey player, and uh, he's he's become a really good coach. And he's got, like I mentioned on the, on the when we we're talking to Cam, he's got a a real pretty cool demeanor. He's he's quietly intense, you know. He's uh, he's very competitive, and, and he wants to win. But um, the way he carries himself when he's talking to uh, his players on the ice, and when he's coaching there, and and the way he deals with Cam, it's pretty impressive. It's one of those good guys around that uh, we're we're blessed to have that quality of coach around for, uh, for hockey and for, for golf, obviously. So. Very cool. Yeah. So, wow, this has uh, been a bit of a long one, fellas. Uh, anything. Uh, so the NHL, before we go, we should say that, yeah, the NHL is in phase two. So some of the players are actually skating, which is encouraging, I suppose, all sorts of rules around that. But, uh, I guess phase three won't start before July 10th, but, uh, at least we can kind of start dreaming. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but why not a three-on-three tournament? And uh, I'm with you, Mike. Like, no Stanley Cup. Like, you said the COVID Cup with the Canadian teams. <laughs> I think you said a while ago. That, I thought, would, was a cool idea. But uh, I'm not sure about this whole full playoff, especially with 24 teams dragging on into August or September, they should just have a three-on-three tournament and call it oh. like the, you know, COVID Cup or some five. Well, <laughs> I know they wouldn't call it that. But. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. you said the Gordie Howe Cup. Yeah. yeah. Well, or the Ted guys, Lindsay Trophy or something like. But, uh, yeah. Uh, you remember the old, it used to be, uh, it was in the late 70s, early 80s, they had the, the showdown competition. Showdown in the NHL period. from Peterborough. That was filmed in Peterborough. Yeah. 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 And then, and then were you even born then, Randy? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it, it graduated. I know. I'm to, just kidding. Uh, you know, they that was a compliment, by the way. Yeah. Thank you. And then they, it was a <laughs> they graduated to a point where they actually had a three-on-three tournament, and I think it was either Peterborough yeah. or Gravenhurst. You know, they had. Yeah. You know, it was mainly filmed at the. Um, Mem Center, Peterborough, yeah. Yeah, and, like, I remember, like, Barry Beck had a team, and it was Team Beck against Team whatever. And oh, that thing you mean. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about the showdown in the NHL. Well, they did that, that was, and then yeah. it was showdown graduated to become that. stupid that, three-on-three that thing was no good. I'm talking about that one-on-one thing, yeah. No, no, I know exactly, but that's what I mean. It all started with that, and then it graduated yeah, to yeah. three-on-three. And they ran it in the summer, and, hey, and then they – it and it was it sucked <laughs> and um i i just don't know like i love three on three i think it's great as a playoff i'm, I'm happy the ncaa just announced actually that because they the last the last they never uh, they've always gone to ties they play five on five in overtime they just let it end in the tie and they're going to a three on three format in a shootout now which i'm glad and i love it for the nhl but for a playoff like right now i uh, just i'd no rather way. they just shut her down 
were up in October. I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Hey, good question for you too. When they had the old uh, showdown in the NHL, which was filmed in Peterborough, the one-on-one thing with the skater and the goalie, guess who won it the yep. first year? Phil Esposito. Mickey Redman. Oh, okay. Redmond, that's right. Look it up. Mickey Redman. You know what you know, he did every time? He took slap shot. <laughs> no deeks, no fakes, just blasted it by them, man. Goalie Mickey stood up Redmond. and kept their eyes closed and hope it didn't hit them. And from Peterborough. <laughs> then they had the international version of it, and Ivan Balderov won, didn't he? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Now we're going I'm back. not sure about that. <laughs> That's a good I'm name, though, Ivan Boulder. <laughs> I think Anyways, we've, we've digressed, gentlemen. Think, yeah. We've digressed. I think uh, maybe it's time to wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> so last thing, Mike, before we talk, um, Total Sports, Quinny Total Sports Magazine, the one, the long-anticipated yes. first – first uh, edition is coming off the press here. So unfortunately our website's not quite ready. We're going to release it through the website and send it through all the social media, but we are going to send it through social media and it'll be on like the Wellington Dukes website to start with. And then we'll get everything up and running, but we're excited about the magazine bones is going to have his, uh, his a uh, couple of his uh, interviews in there as well as one of uh, his editorial. And, and uh, yeah, I hope people like it and uh, let us know what you think, you know, and, uh, and, Hopefully we'll be start seeing monthly editions coming out, uh, both digitally and then in hard copy every two or three months. Yeah, Kelly sent over the advanced copy, and it looks fantastic. And so we should give a yeah. shout-out to Kelly Martin and oh, uh, wow. everyone else working on it. They've done a great job. Her layout skills are incredible. Yep, and the people she's got working for her, absolutely. Thumbs up. Yep. Yeah, she's got a ton of people working for her. It's her. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're, and we're, oh, she's so, magic, man. <laughs> yeah. So, Great yeah. layout skills, yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks everybody. I appreciate you guys. Thanks, guys. Yep. All right, we'll talk Cheers. to you next week. Thanks for listening to another Total Sports Quinty podcast. You can send us an email with all your thoughts and suggestions to boqtotalsports at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram. We're at boqtotalsports. And if you want to check out the website, it's boqtotalsportsmagazine. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, the mag looked good, eh?